and uh, surprised her. Uh, she was perplexed uh, when she, she was told, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And uh, common angel uh, response, do not be afraid. Uh, almost always an angel has to say that. For you have found favor with God. So we've learned that much. She's been uh, found grace uh, in the sight of the Lord. Um, and what we want to know now is, what is the favor she's found? And we'll find out. So Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 38. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word, and the angel departed from him. So, she finds out some very surprising news for her. What's her news? Her relative. Yeah, that's some of the news, but that's not the big news. He's going to have a child. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much of a shock. Um, and, wow, what a child she's going to have. You know, she hasn't gotten over that shock yet when he will be great. Will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Five statements about Jesus in verses 32 and 33 that are just remarkable statements. Wow. One, uh, everyone seems even greater than the one before it. And it reminds you very much of an Old Testament passage. What does it remind you of, I hope? <laughs> It takes a bunch of quotations from an Old Testament chapter. Probably one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Yeah, you know where that was? Second Samuel seven. Good job, you got it. But that is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. If I had to come up with chapters that were most important in the Old Testament, that'd surely be in the top five. You know, I mean, that is, wow. And, and it's just from that. I mean, line after line, this is the promised Messiah to David. That's who she's bearing. You know, who would have ever thought that? What a what an exciting thing. What an amazing thing. You know, you would not have ever expected that if you're a virgin girl living in Nazareth. And I mean, I think we may have said this, but I mean, they married really young. So it's very likely she's, you know, younger than Joseph, probably, or at least as young. And uh, so, now, she's got a question. You know, Zachariah did too, sort of. Remember Zachariah's question, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. What's Mary's question? Do you take Mary's question to be of a similar attitude as Zacharias's question? Apparently not. Apparently not. The result is quite different. It looks to me like Zacharias is more questioning whether it's true or not. 
And she's more questioning how will this happen. Not so much she's doubting the truth, but you know, how is this going to be? And so I take it, she gets an explanation that shows God's appro- uh, God approves of her question. Zacharias gets the very sign he wanted. Well, not probably the sign he had in mind, but the sign he asked for. And uh, so she's told that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. And that's how she was going to bear this holy child. The Holy Spirit would uh, provide that. Now, there's no details given. We have no understanding of how all that worked. But this is going to be a child that God gives her. She will not, not be the product of human conception that we know human father. You know, this really fits with his deity and humanity. You know, this is what you expect in that situation. And, you know, Elizabeth's pregnancy that she didn't know about until now is kind of a confirmation because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren and way too old to have a son. And uh, Mary has a good attitude. What does she say in 38? What's her What's her spirit? Yeah. Uh, humble and submissive, kind of at God's disposal. You know, behold, the bond slave of the Lord may have be done to me according to your word. Whatever you say, isn't that the way we always ought to react to the grace of God and to the mission that God gives us? Whatever you say, that's what we'll do. And so this is too great an honor, I'm sure, for her, and yet this is what the Lord wants. She is willing to submit and serve in whatever way God wants her to serve. So, comments or questions on that? Alright, I want us to look a little bit at the idea of the parallels between the announcement to Zacharias and the announcement to Mary. And so if you look back at verse 5, you have the setting of the announcement to Zacharias. The timing, who the main characters were, and the special condition that made them unable to bear children. You've got the same thing starting in verse 26. You have the timing, you have the main characters, and you have the special condition that made her unable to bear children. She's an only, and she's only engaged. You have a grievous angel. The same angel appearing to one parent who is afraid, and the next statement is, do not be afraid, Zacharias, slash, do not be afraid, Mary, for. Then there's the message of the angel. Bear a son, gives his name, says he'll be great, says what his role will be, and mentions the involvement of the Holy Spirit in that. Then there's the question that both of them ask, the sign that both of them got. Zacharias' sign was what? He could not talk. And and Mary's sign was what? Elizabeth's pregnancy, I think so. And uh, so there this really fits broader parallels in these accounts. Because you have the response of the mother in both cases, then you have the birth in both cases, the circumcision and the naming in both cases, a response of prophets, Zacharias and Simeon and Anna, and the growth of the child. So really, on through the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Jesus and John are presented in very parallel terms. You can go back and pick some of that out yourself if you want to. But but 
for, starting with the announcement from Gabriel right on through uh, their early life, there's just stayed in very parallel terms right all the way down through. Well, when you have comparisons that are so parallel, often the reason is to draw contrasts. So think about the contrast between John and Jesus. John was born to a old barren woman. Jesus was born to a virgin. That's that's a little more remarkable. Um, notice that John was going to be great before the Lord in verse 15. Jesus was going to be great. 32, period. Uh, John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb, but Jesus was Yeah, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit was involved in the conception, not just from the womb. Uh, John was going to prepare the people, and Jesus was going to reign over the house. In 76, John is called the prophet of the Most High. In 32, Jesus is called the Son of the Most High. In 117, John is going to go before the Lord. In 211, Jesus is, is going to be the Lord. John's role was temporary. Jesus' kingdom would have no end. So you see a lot of emphasis on Jesus' superiority by drawing the, the parallel, seeing how they're presented in such parallel fashion, then it starts to really accentuate how great Jesus is. I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, obviously we knew Jesus was greater than John, but it is interesting that there's that much overlapping parallel and kind of contrast in these two. Thoughts and comments on all that? Okay, 39 to 45. This time Mary arose and went with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in the womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Well, interesting. Mary immediately uh, goes down to the hill country and uh, enters Zacharias and Elizabeth's house. Uh, she now knows that Elizabeth is expected, and she's got great news of her own. And when she entered the house, what happened to Elizabeth? And what else happened in the baby jumped? Whoa! This is the first time, maybe the only time, that uh, a child has ever used the womb as a pulpit. You know, he shows that the mother of his uh, Lord had come. That's just a remarkable thing. Wow! Uh, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so she's able to prophesy. And she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You know, you are blessed, and so is your child, and you're the mother of my Lord. So Mary's privilege is greater than Elizabeth's. There's much more emphasis on Mary's child, though, than Mary herself. 
Mary has a great role to play because of who her child would be. There's great joy. Uh, the child leaped in my womb for joy. You see that idea that the joyous occasion. You'll, it's amazing how many times joy and rejoicing is mentioned in these first two chapters of Luke. These are joyful, wonderful times. Um, think about it. I mean, these two women, chosen by God to be the mother of the forerunner and the mother of the Messiah. Wow. That's amazing. And uh, really, everybody's response to Jesus arriving on the scene of history should be joy. Okay, comments or questions? How are they related? I don't know. They're related. Why did I choose Mary? I don't know. She was a humble woman, poor woman, you know, so she fits kind of the insignificant circumstance that Jesus would be born into, but I don't think there's ever a statement made as to why he chose Mary. I don't even know about her character other than this, really. I mean, there's some things that you see in her later on, and the fact that she's a disciple of Jesus is in Acts 1. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of questions like that. You know, why does God choose people for various roles? You know, why did God allow Herod to kill James and kept John alive to the last of the apostles, probably? You know, they're brothers. I don't know. You know, some things are like that. You know, Stephen Stone, Philip continues on as an evangelist for a long time, but two of the seven. So there's a lot of times, I don't think we know why one is chosen for one role and one for another. All right, uh, 46 to 56. <coughs> Mary, <coughs> and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Okay. Um... This is what Mary says. Obviously, she is uh, inspired by God to say this. She uses a lot of Old Testament expressions and vocabulary. But there is one particular Old Testament passage that I think uh, is similar to this one. Anybody remember what Old Testament passage this is similar to? Hannah's prayer. Yeah, Hannah and 1 Samuel 2, I think so. So she starts by praising God. You know, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it? So, was Mary immaculately conceived and lived with no sin? Well, if God's her Savior, doesn't that imply she was a sinner? The people who never sinned need a Savior? 
So I think that's interesting. Of course, you understand the idea of the immaculate conception of Mary. You know, the Catholics believe in inherited sin. But if Jesus inherited sin, that would be a problem. Because he was sinless. If Mary inherited sin, that would be a problem for the Catholics. Because she was sinless, according to them. So they came up with the doctrine that Mary was immaculately conceived and that she was born without original sin and didn't sin to her life. That, that's the Catholic view of Mary. A lot of people think of the Immaculate Conception as being Jesus' conception, as Mary's conception. That's their view. Why couldn't Mary just save us then? Well, they actually, this is not a hard and fast Catholic teaching, but many Catholics now review, view Mary as co-redemptrix. So she's co-redeemer with Jesus. That's kind of cutting-edge Catholic uh, theology. <laughs> they, for a long time, viewed her as co-mediatrix, co-mediator. Did they only need her to not have sin so Jesus could not have sin? No, they didn't want her to have sin either because she's the goddess. I don't mean that pejoratively, but that's essentially the added, the viewpoint. I mean, they wouldn't call it that, but she is kind of like a female god to them, and they view her that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's why have there been goddesses throughout the time? What's the what's the value of a goddess? The mother of a god. Yeah. You mean like as opposed to a god? Yes. Like, why would you have a goddess? Why would you want a goddess? Yeah. Why would you want somebody female? Different disposition. Yeah. Yes, more soft, soft compassionate, <laughs> loving, understanding. So there's a there's a desire for a goddess. So there's a desire for a Christian female, you know, immaculately conceived person. And if you listen to the Catholics, that's what they say. Mary, you can approach Mary. She understands. She and 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 every son listens to his mother. So you know she's got she's going Jesus going to listen to his mother. That's his. I'm oversimplifying. Catholics would probably pick that apart. That is essentially <laughs> that's essentially the attitude. And so that, that's really the desire. You want to have a female that you can approach in the Godhead, and they would they would not define her in the Godhead. But but if she's co-mediator, co-redeemer, immaculately conceived. Bodily assumed to heaven, they have defined that. They believe she was bodily taken up to heaven. <laughs> at any rate, uh, she needs a savior. Uh, why is she praising God? Well, look at what he's done in verse 48. Wow, he has blessed her humble state. Look at what he's done in 49. Great things for me. Look at the things you see in his character. In 49 and 50, what are the three things you see about God? In his terms of his character, his attributes, he is holy, holy and he is mighty. mighty, and he is merciful. merciful. The three great qualities of God here that, that call on her to praise God. Um, you know, all that he's done. Wow! But this is not just what he's done for her now what he's done for her, but this kind of fits the pattern of the kind of things God does. Look at 51, 52, 53. What kind of things does God generally do? He's exalted the lowly and not exalted the proud. 
Yes, that's exactly what he does, uh, which is impressive. He overturns the world's power structures. Um, you know, he humbles those who are intellectually proud, verse 51, those who are proud of their exalted position, verse 52, and those that are proud of their wealth, verse 53. Uh, this is what God always does. He brings down the high and he lifts up the lowly. And so this is Mary's exhibit A in lifting up the lowly. He also has given help to Israel, his servant, in verse 54 and 55. And this, of course, is a blessing to Israel that the Messiah is coming. And so then, Mary stays with her about three months and then returns to her home. And then if you follow the text, the next thing you know is John is born. So why did Mary leave right before John was going to be born? I've always wondered that. I thought she should just stay. I did too. Are we sure she didn't? I think she did. You think she did stay? I do. Okay. I think she left after she was born. But you finish up the Mary story before you tell about John's birth. Okay. You don't want to interrupt the middle of John's birth and uh, early life saying, and Mary went home. <laughs> you know, just wrap up Mary and then go on to John's birth. So I'm assuming she stayed until he's born. That makes a lot more sense to me than leaving right before. But, all right, comments or questions through 56? She's like Tyler. Yeah, maybe. Okay. 57 to 66. <clears throat> now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to ask what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak the praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were become were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So Elizabeth gave birth to John. And her neighbors and her relatives are thrilled, they're rejoicing, that theme again, you see it all over the place. And uh, they circumcise him, and uh, we name him. <coughs> so what are the relatives thinking they ought to name him? Junior. Exactly. Why not? But what does Elizabeth want him to be called? John. Well, so they want to know from Zacharias. So they make signs to Zacharias. What does that probably imply? He couldn't hear as well as couldn't talk. That's my guess. Uh, and they want to know, you know, what his name should be. So he asked for a tablet, and what does he write? His name is John. His name is John. Now that's surprising in a couple of ways. Why is that surprising? You know, it was his. One thing. Well, maybe he saw the baby oh, coming. Okay, yeah, I don't know if they had fathers in the birthing room and stuff back then or not. Yeah, it's true. So by that time, I'm sure they'd see. But but why why would that be surprising that he said his name is John? 
he's really definite about it, and there's like no background for it according to the relatives. Yeah, he doesn't say, well, his name will be John, or I'd like for his name to be John. His name is John. <laughs> it's like, well, let's, okay, how do you know that? Um, but also, he didn't hear Elizabeth name him. You know, he got here. So it's kind of surprising it coincided. Of course, presumably they've talked about it already. But anyhow, people are surprised. And as soon as he writes his name is John, then what happens? Yeah, all of a sudden he talks and he begins to praise God. Maybe he makes up for that priestly, you know, blessing he couldn't offer back when he came out of the temple. I do think probably that verse 64 you see the content of that in 67 to 79. I think, you know, that we don't get the actual praise until a bit later. We want to finish off this story. The reaction of the people, they're afraid, they're talking about it, and what will this child turn out to be? You know, God is doing something very special. Everybody senses it. Stay tuned. There's bound to be more to come with this child. Thoughts and comments? Sixty-seven to seventy-nine. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the God of his, the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from the whole, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us." To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to us to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace pretty good prophecy on Zacharias' part he's filled with the Holy Spirit how many people have been filled with the Holy Spirit in this chapter already and uh, so he's got this is this is from the Lord and uh, he begins by talking about the things God is doing so what has God done first Visited us. <laughs> well, that's nice. Does that seem significant enough to mention God visited us? In a while. How long? Yeah, so it is significant. I'm seeing he hadn't stopped by for 400 years. I think that's uh, worth noting. So yeah, that's right. Uh, this is big news. I mean, wow. The Lord is starting to act again. Can you imagine the thrill of that? And as you said... What? Isn't that the phrase that was used in Ruth that God had visited people and after the famine? Yeah, I think it may be. Yeah. It's often it's used... Kind of been like a famine. It's often... Yeah, you're right. Good point. It's often <laughs> used for visiting either to bless or to punish. You know. But yeah, good point. This has been a famine, for sure. For the word of the Lord. And as you pointed out, he has redeemed his people and saved them from their enemies. That's, uh, you know, part of his work. And it kind of reminds you of the Exodus. Of course, the enemies he's saving them from here are not the Egyptians, but 
who are our enemies. Yeah, Satan and so forth. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. What does that mean? Yes. So he's raised up a powerful savior, you know, who's able to deliver. All the delivering power of the Lord is concentrated in Jesus. Uh, you always have to, in English, clarify this doesn't mean he's raised up a wonderful trumpet. You know, <laughs> not the horn of salvation. Only has a problem in English. You know, in Portuguese, those are two entirely different words, and they so they were in Greek. But in English, we happen to have the same word that does for both. Wait, in Horn, or horn of an animal. This oh, is an animal it horn. Means animal horn. Yeah, oh, yeah. Though the original language word means animal horn, but do we oh. have a synonym for animal horn? So you translate it with something that's sort of yeah, an antler. I don't think we quite do the same thing, but yeah, that might not quite do the same thing either. But uh, yeah, so. But anyhow, he's delivered. He's raised up a powerful savior in the house of David, his servant. This confirms the promises that were made. They really are true. And uh, notice that he's showing mercy, remembering his holy covenant, what he swore to Abraham. So we're connecting this back to David and Abraham. And so what's the goal in verses 74 and 75 for us? That will serve him um, in holiness and righteousness all our days. God saves us for service. You know, the purpose of what he's done for us is so we can live for him, that we can, you know, glorify him by our holy, righteous lives. So that's what God's been doing. Then he turns to the roles of John and Jesus. And you, child, talking about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And what's his role? Yes, prepare the way for the Lord, that's Jesus the Lord, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Notice that the deliverance is forgiveness of sins, not political deliverance. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. What is the sunrise from on high? did you think of that? The next verse says to shine on those who are in the darkness so it's related to bringing the light. Yeah, so so what about this light is being brought? Obviously it's brought by Jesus or maybe is Jesus. You know, it, the Messiah is this bright dawn of salvation shining on everyone. You know, I, I would say the sunrise from on high is, is Jesus himself, probably. You know, he's coming to illuminate us, to shine on those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death that got our way, feet into the way of peace. The long night's over. The sunrise is about to dawn. It's going to bring all these wonderful blessings. So, I mean, this is exciting stuff. The God's sunrise... Is, 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 is upon us. Wow, this is amazing. 
And then the child continued in verse 80 to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. You, so John grows up. That's, we got one verse on John's uh, life from zero to 30 or whatever. All right, comments and questions on any of that in Luke 1. Two one to seven. 